3: Hello and welcome to another edition of Two Cups of Tea Today I've travelled to Nottingham and I'm here to meet Janet She grew up in the Welsh Valleys and became a successful teacher and academic Many years ago she underwent gender reassignment to become the woman she always knew that she was Today she talks with fondness of her happy childhood as a young boy in Wales and the long, often emotional journey over the years that followed Right then, i go and set up the microphones, you listen to the theme tune Let's go
2: I was born in South Wales in the South Wales Valleys, 1949. Uh, I'd, I'd worked out, actually, which is interesting. I must have been conceived when the NHS was conceived, so that would have made me one of the first batch of babies born in the NHS.
0: In, and where was that? In
2: and that was uh, a <laughs> for it. That was a small cottage hospital in a, in a village called part of the Ronda, which was called the Pier.
0: I'm not even going to try that one if you Definitely don't want. Won't be pretty. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about the makeup of the family that you were born into.
2: Um, there was my mum and dad, and they, which was quite common in those days, which is similar today. Um, they lived with my mum's mother, who had a big rented house yeah. in Trikki, and um, so my grandmother there. My mother's mother lived upstairs, um, and me and my mother and father lived downstairs. And then there was three floors to this house. We lived on the ground floor. My grandmother in the middle floor. And I actually slept in the attic.
0: Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Also living there, uh, well, various people came because my grandmother had a big family. She Mm. had seven children. Uh, She was widowed after the war. And so at various times, perhaps one of her children would pop in or perhaps spend a few weeks there or something. Yeah. Um, But uh, most of the time it was me, my mother, my father... And my grandmother had a lodger, um, which who I called un- Uncle um, Phil.
0: Uncle Phil, what was, was no, he?
2: Uncle Phil was um, an Irishman who came from County Waterford, and he had worked uh, like a lot of Irishmen who came into South Wales, mm. manual worker. And he had retired and he was living, he rented a room. I, says, I don't know, I was young then.
0: In the house with, with, yeah. with well, you? Well, it was a
2: big house, it had about 13 and 14 rooms. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So was he just like a, like a part of the furniture? Somebody yeah, just...
2: yeah, yeah, he was part of the furniture. And then uh, a very interesting thing happened. Um, I remember going with my grandmother to um, a mental health hospital in Burgendt. Right. Uh, because my grandmother had a friend in there called Celia. And yeah. Celia had been incarcerated there. It was all lock and key. As in here.
0: against her will?
2: Yeah. And I don't think there was that much wrong with Celia, to be honest. She might even... Uh, might be making this up, but it could possibly have been that she um, had an illegitimate baby or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's all too common a tale, isn't it? Yeah. It was my a way of dealing was... with problems, wasn't it, yeah. rather than... Yeah.
2: It was quite um, a horrific place, really. I can imagine. And but I can remember my grandmother being on a quest to get Celia released, and she succeeded in the end. And Celia also joined the family, and um, so she was lived in my grandmother's house. Yeah. Uh, and my grandmother was quite disabled with arthritis, so Celia helped to look after my grandmother as well as Yeah. I? You know, she did a lot of housework and cleaning, but she she had, um, she was, um, she had suffered a lot and was very institutionalised. Yeah. So uh, that was more or less it, I think.
0: And tell me about your, your mum and dad. What was your mum, mum and dad's names?
2: Um, Lena and Doug and my mother uh, had dramatic fever when she was 12 years of age. Wow. Uh, and that was pre the NHS, so that left her with the d- disease heart valves, and um, uh, which she suffered from till she died actually, mm. um, at, at seventy one years of age in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. My dad was a general labourer. Yeah. According to my birth certificate, and he worked in Port Talbot when I was alive. Uh, when he when I was a child, mm. he lived. He worked in Port Talbot. Steelworks, mm. As a scaffolder, and what he did was to work. Um, occasionally, they they shut down the cork ovens where they made steel, mm. uh, which were huge, you know, about six houses high and a huge cauldron, yeah, uh, which were lined with fire bricks. And my dad's job was, with his mates, was to go inside, put scaffolding up so that bricklayers could come and re uh, reline the blast furnaces. Wow. So it's quite a horrible environment, and I, I can remember kind of hush descending on the house when he'd come home from work, and one of his mates had fallen off the scaffold and died because probably the health and safety in those days was pretty grim. Yeah, uh, that happened two or three times. In, uh, I can remember that. So. So the, that happened more than once. Oh, certainly more than once. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah. That took its toll, I think, on my dad, um, but mainly physically from the dust in the environment. Oh, I imagine on the lungs, that can't have been... And he developed later on in life um, chronic emphysema, which he made incapable of work when he was about 40. God. So I was kind of a benefits child in today's terms, brought up on. You know, um, sickness benefits. Yeah. Because both my mum my and my dad were ill. Were they brothers and sisters? No, my brother came along. Uh, I've got one brother, and he came along about seven years after I was born. So he's seven years yeah, seven years younger than me. Now, what happened when my brother... I can't remember now. Let's go... Uh, yeah, I can't remember the exact detail whether uh, my mother and father bought their own little miners' cottage mm. uh, two up, two down kind of job. Yeah. Uh, either slightly before my brother was born or slightly afterwards. So we actually moved out into our own house.
0: Oh, Uh,
2: I Around that time.
0: Did you like the big house with all the people?
2: Um, It was quite traumatic for me personally because um, I had quite an affinity with my grandmother. In a sense, my grandmother, who had been used to raising children, kind of adopted me in a sense... Um, so there was me, and my mother. So I used to go up and down between the middle floor and the ground floor between yeah. my grandmother and my mother. And I did when we moved out. I did miss because um, I was quite close to my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, I did miss her a lot.
0: Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, the, but there's a bond I think with grandmothers and grandparents that that's different anyway. What's it with a, the parents? I think it's it's stronger in some ways.
2: I've written about this, um, I've written a story about one of my earliest memory. Um, uh, my grandmother was tall in inter- she had been down in London in the 20s, like um, I suppose a lot of women, um, working in a, in what they call service. So yeah. she was basically a maid in a big house in mm. London. And the family story goes that she was involved in the suffragette movement. Wow. But she was certainly a woman of great strength. Um, she was also very politically minded. Yeah. She was a member of the Communist Party. Goodness. Um, and, in fact, when I was twelve, she when she died, she was officiant at the, her funeral in our house, in the big house. Yeah was uh, a woman called Annie Powell who was a member the local party um, official who came with this red flag over my grandmother's coffin and right. um, she came to do the um, film service um, and um, Annie Powell was interesting because she apparently was the only communist mayor in anywhere in Great Britain in a town called Marty which was often called Little Moscow.
0: Little which, Moscow. Yes. Yeah, so, Goodness um, me.
2: But communism in those days, between the wars, was quite prevalent in yeah. in the UK. Yeah.
0: I can imagine. Did that trickle down to your your parents too? Was it just something? That no, you're...
2: my parents weren't. In fact, my father was a Tory, a <laughs> working class Tory. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but what it did mean was. Um, there was no religion in the house. Right. So, uh, uh, and that was unusual in Trurochy at those days because the chapels and the churches were quite full and, and quite
0: powerful in yeah, the community too. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we were outside that. But close Philip, coming from Ireland, and Uncle Phil, yeah. was a Catholic. And again, that was unusual because um, it was a very small um, Catholic community which were mainly Irish. Irish-Italian migrants into the South Wales coalfield. The Irish worked like Phil did in manual jobs, yeah. and the Italians set up little businesses, which were usually um, ice cream parlours and coffee houses, yeah. and there were lots of those. Mm. Um, and then up near my grandma's house, there was quite a few of those, plus there was um, uh, Bassini's, which was... Um, a fish and chip shop yes yeah, it was a small community but what was interesting around the Ronda as well Ronda Valley is made up of like um, I described it in the bit I wrote um, it's like um, giant caterpillars strapped in the whole of the valley uh, with segments which would be the different villages yeah. so you go from one village you'd run into the next one there was no gaps really in between yeah. the villages and the houses were also like little caterpillars, I suppose, straddling the undulations of the hillsides.
0: Yeah, clinging on.
2: They'd follow the contours of the hillsides. And yeah. They'd wave it like a wheel of a up and down.
0: Did you like the part of the world you grew up in? Did you like the outdoors?
2: Well, oh, that was lovely because, particularly when we still lived in Cherokee, I had some friends We used to go up the farm to play. mm Uh, play in the haystacks and help clean the horses out and what was nice then we'd get a chance to ride on some of the small horses Mm. Um, we also used to go up into the mountains to build dens and build ponds and swim in them, my childhood in that sense was lovely the other big thing um, for me uh, which was a great shock was um, when I was in Cherokee I went to to Rocky Junior Mixed School, which is boys and girls. Yeah. When I went, we went when my parents moved they moved to another village, which was called Tom Bentra. and I was went to the local primary school, which was a boys' school, and I hated that because I, I was so used to being around girls as well.
0: So you started at the mixed school and then went to an all boys school.
2: Yeah, I think I had a, quite an early awareness from four or five years of age that um i was a little bit different to the others around me and mm. i didn't obviously in those days i couldn't didn't have a clue what what made me different or what what, what was going on
0: because um, the one thing i'm the one thing i'm conscious that we haven't mentioned is that we're talking about you as a little boy
2: yes and um i always liked um helping my grandmother cook mm. uh, and as i mentioned to you i think um she was disabled, so um, I had to uh, to get dressed and that kind of stuff. Mm. so in a way, part of it I, I played the role of the little girl as well yeah uh, and that's why moving to tom pentra um the it was a bit of a shock not to have girls around me in school.
0: You are suddenly at a school with all boys, and yeah. it must have. And
2: the culture was very different. Um, you know, uh, I can remember boys running, running around the playground, playing British and German aeroplanes with their arms out, and running around playing fight. You know, dog fights and all. That. Yeah. The, the war was, I suppose, the Second World War was still very influential on children's play at that time.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
2: But, but matters got worse then because um, the LEM Plus came along. Right. And it seemed to me all the children on the street passed and I failed. <laughs> and they all went off to grammar schools. Yes. Yeah. Most of them went to a mixed grammar school. Yeah. I went to a, a boys' secondary modern. <laughs> and um, that wasn't a very pleasant experience. Um I wasn't bullied. Uh, I suppose I was teased a bit sorry, because my sporting ability was useless. Yeah. And um, but nothing serious. Uh, but I just hated being around, you know, the girls. Well, it was, it was quite common again that the boys' school and the girls' school were adjacent to each other with a right. fence down the middle.
4: Oh, really? <laughs>
2: So, playtime, some of the boys would talk to the girls through the railings of the fence between the two schools. Yeah. But fortunately, um, I could barely read and write, actually, when I went to the secondary modern. Mm. But what saved me was I was, I suppose I was a genius in in that school in terms of maths and science. Right. And my form teacher, uh, ironically, was the English teacher, uh, Recognised that talent in me, and they had a system in room though, which was quite good educationally, because about two thirds of the children went to grammar schools, which was opposite to what England was. Yeah, um, and because um, education was highly prized in in the valleys, mm. it was important, and part of it that was that um, the the aim of most parents was that the children didn't go down the coal mines. Yeah. Um. I went to the secondary modern for this first year,
0: mm.
2: and then um, John Davis, my teacher, English teacher.
0: After you displayed your genius at maths and science. Yeah,
2: well, I was treated in maths. We used to go through the maths book, and the maths teacher was a tyrant. But um, you run the classroom like the side you know, like an old Victorian classroom. You don't yes. breathe or you get your knuckles wrapped. Yeah, and. Um, Every Friday they had a test and the best would sit at one end and then the seats would be arranged in order of how you did in the test.
0: Like pole position at the racing.
2: Yeah, and I was (laughs) in the top seat. And I was halfway through the second book when um, the other end of the academic group, or the bottom boys, were struggling on the first few pages of the first book. Yeah. must have been about five or six of us uh, were recommended Mm. to go transfer to the grammar school. So we started, I started again in the grammar school, but I had to go into the first year of the grammar school, not the second year. So I was a year behind then, and so were the others. Um, But when I went to the grammar school, my kind of, education started to flourish mm. the, the comparison there's no comparison you know the resources were better the teaching was better it was more purposeful and um uh i was top of the, i ended up being top of the year every year in the grandstand. Wow. yeah
0: isn't that funny then i if that's me. it makes because if that's something that you were so clearly had the ability to do mm. it makes you it makes you question that how effective the 11 plus was
2: Oh, totally ineffective as far as I'm, my yeah. life is concerned and my education. Um, it might, I'm going to surprise you, um, I've actually got six degrees.
0: Oh, my God.
2: And I failed the 11+. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: sure there's not many people with six degrees. Who failed the 11+. plus? Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's many people with six degrees, let alone. Yeah. Yeah. Who who failed the 11 plus? Yeah. Goodness me. Can I ask what they're in?
2: Yeah, I got two first degrees, one in physics and one in maths. Yeah. And then I got two masters, one in education and one in cultural studies. And I got a postgraduate diploma in counselling and psychotherapy. And I got a doctorate in, well, sociology. I'll come on to that later on. Wow. So I transferred you So you're,
0: the- now you're now in the grammar school now? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Which and was, was that mixed. like? And was
0: that better socially too?
2: Oh yeah, it was mixed. Oh and, good. Um, that's when I had my first kind of crush, I suppose, on a girl whose name was Janet. Ah. <laughs> and um, me and Janet were um, liked each other a lot, and used to pass 11 notes under the desks, mm. which we'd write in a simple chord.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, can you remember what the code was?
2: Yeah, it was just adding taking the first letter off, I think, and adding the air to the end.
0: Ah, uh, so pig Latin,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: probably. So, I a of lay, uye j, yeah, gotcha.
2: Well, I only did Latin for year. <laughs> um, so, um, but in my grandmother was still alive then in that first year, um. But the other big thing that happened to me, I, as I told you, I'd been born when the NHS started. Yes. And looking back at the NHS in those early days, I think they were a bit trigger-happy. Right. <laughs> if you had something wrong with it, you know, they are give in the works. And uh, yeah. I had somewhat flat feet, which made my feet ache a bit. Um, my mother, anyway, I ended up having surgery, which meant wow. that I was in hospital in the local orth- orthopaedic hospital near Cardiff for six weeks. Well wow, that's a long time. It was a long time and um even had my teacher I had a hospital teacher they used to have. wow. So we had schooled in hospital. So
0: what so what age was this at? This must have been I
2: was when I was twelve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Six weeks in hospital when you're twelve must have sounded been yeah. like a prison sentence.
2: Well, no, it wasn't, actually. Oh, really? You liked it? If, well, I wouldn't say loved it, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, Janet, was. me and Janet, used to write to each other, so that was nice. Oh, that is nice. Uh, and then I had a crush on one of the young nurses. Oh, really? I can still remember her name. It was Nurse Janie. Did you...
0: I presume you didn't mention that in your letters to Janet. No, no. <laughs> P.S. I really fancy one of the nurses here. <laughs>
2: Well, no, Jamie used to, took a fondness to me, I think, she used to, you know, help me and look after me. And, yeah. And i have forgotten about that. Mm. So, anyway, I was in there, then I came back, but me and Janet never really got anywhere. Um, we never went out or anything like that. It was, yeah. it was just a, a school crush. Yeah, like
0: an innocent first crush, that's nice. yeah.
2: yeah. And I was quite young. It was only 12. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I suppose the next... I, I had two friends, which I met, uh, two male friends then, who were pals. Yeah. Um, Mark and Gareth. And um, we stayed friends, actually, from then, from when I was 13, 14, right up to when we were about 40. Wow. Uh, even though we had... By that time, spread to different parts of the country. Yeah. Um, one of the things the three of us had was a was a culture of competing against each other to try and be the best academically, and that was very strong amongst the three of us. Mm. But I always won in in maths and science. Yeah. And um, I always ended up as I told you, top of the year, and Gareth would come sometimes second or third, much to his annoyance. Yes. Uh, a Mark is a bit further behind us, so uh then, by the third year um I met what turned out to be my wife,
0: oh wow, yeah. and so that's when you're thirteen or fourteen, yeah, yeah, so it was a it was it a was proper a childhood, childhood sweetheart, yeah.
2: yeah, 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 she was a year older than me, so she was in the next year up oh, okay, or eighteen months older than me, actually, we stayed together for about. Um, two more years
0: oh and I see and then um, you then you then rekindled later Is that so
2: that was when I was in the fifth year and when I went into the sixth form yeah because she was older and but young uh, younger in a year group she went off to teacher training college and, right okay um, so I was I was left kind of bereft a bit
0: yeah a bit rudderless
2: yeah yeah but that um, when I was starting my A-levels. Yeah. I'd done quite well, I think. I had, by then I must have had about 10 A levels. Um, and with good grades. Yeah. The teaching in the sixth form turned out to be pretty grim. and um, How so? A, a combination of poor teaching, I would put it down to A-level teaching, yeah. and the fact that I was... a Get in to get more at sea about my own identity. Yeah. And also my 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 love you know, my love going away. Um that was a difficult time for me. What mm. was to begin a very quite a difficult time. Um up till then I'd been okay. Yeah, I'd been quite happy. I was well aware that when puberty came on that I was different. Yeah. But again I couldn't really say what it was mm. um you know what boys are like um in those days there was uh, a lot of talk about sex yeah a lot of boys were in relationships or sexual relationships as well uh but uh there was also an awareness of um, homosexuality yeah and i was i was I the only certainty out of my life was that I wasn't gay. yeah um so but that made me more puzzled you know I never fancied. as i as I told you, I'd more yeah. or less been in relationships with girls from that early fairly early age, yeah, um playing in primary school so
0: it was something you couldn't put your finger on was
2: well, I do not have a clue what it was, yeah. Except I knew I was attracted to girls, but it was um, more. I want, I suppose, really, I want that part of the attraction was I wanted to be like them. Yeah. Um, so, I then met in the sixth form. Um, I used to we used to walk to school. Me and Gareth, mm. and we used to walk past one of the bus stops, and there was this girl with long blonde hair. Yeah. And I thought, what, really fancy? Yeah. <laughs> and that began a very loving, intense relationship for two years. Right. And um, we were exceedingly... That was probably the most serious love of my life. Really? Yeah, in those... Yeah, yeah. But...
0: Uh, I suppose at that age as well it tends to be it that's when it it, that, it, it, it kind of burns brightest at that age yes, isn't it? it was
2: very intense yeah. yeah yeah I remember we sneaked away to London for a holiday together. Wow <laughs> Where uh, did you
0: go? do you remember?
2: yeah uh, well I can remember going to London in um, St Pancras which is the tr- at the other yeah. end of the train line from Cardiff to, yeah and we stayed in a guest house in London spread and stiff that yeah, doing something terrible, but um, and we booked separate rooms as well. Really, <laughs> we were so frightened.
0: <laughs> did you? Um, of oh, the landlady, <laughs> of course. Did you? Well, she, oh, well, she'll have probably guessed. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking. But did do you remember? Did you sightsee and and?
2: I don't think we did. Yeah, I can't. I haven't got a clue what we did, and, and we probably did. Yeah, we weren't there long. It's only a few nights. Yeah. But, yeah. It was a big adventure. A big
0: risky, it sounds like a big adventure.
2: A big risky adventure. Yeah. That was that. And then um, I went to university when uh, I'd finished the sixth form in Cardiff. And Where did you go? Cardiff University. What, oh, Cardiff? Uh, to do physics and um, pure and applied maths.
0: And that was the first of your six degrees? Yeah. yeah. Was it... What you expected the experience to be like, or was it?
2: No, it was. That was a big shock to my culture as well. Now, bearing in mind um, me and my my true love of the sec, you know, with the sixth form love. Yeah. Um, we sp- we split up after two terms in Cardiff, like a lot of relationships end. Yeah. Because she was younger than me, so she was still in school where I went to university. Yeah. Um, so sort brought mirrored what had happened with my first yes. relationship as well. Um, and when I got to Cardiff, my uncomfortableness with my identity and who I was was getting very intense. Mm. And I suppose my first year in university, I was the closest in my whole life to becoming an alcoholic. Really? I drank very heavily. Um, and um, I did no work and I got frightened after two terms because I was so far behind my work uh, yeah. and I was drinking quite heavy. I changed actually from uh, applied maths because I couldn't do it because I hadn't done any of the work yeah. um, to chemistry. So I did chemistry for a term and passed chemistry. Right, gotcha. <laughs> that was easy. Um so I then went on to do honours physics, which in the second and third year. Yeah. But I, I came out with a poor degree I, because I was in turmoil. Yeah. I was trying to work. I, the relationship had ended. I, I was struggling with my own identity.
0: Did you have anyone to confide in?
2: I never talked to anybody about what mm. I was feeling. I ate it. I ate it very effectively. Yeah. How? In school... Because I was so bright academically, mm. Gareth and Mark, my friends, um, I kind of latched on to them, and they were, they were, typical boys having loads of girlfriends mm. and stuff. Uh, so being part of their little group protected me.
0: So we're at Cardiff. You've not really found anyone to confide in, and this is the most.
2: But the pressure was building up, and I'd drunk a lot, and, as I said, it affected my work horrifically, yeah, then my first girlfriend came back on the scene, or we sought each other out, yes, the feelings entirely died, and um when when I left Cardiff, we got back together, yeah, and we got married after. I left Cardiff in June, and we got married in December. Mm. Uh, she, in the meanwhile, she was teaching in Bristol. Uh, she'd done a year and a half two, mm. or two years teaching in Bristol, and um, uh, she came home to the. We went. I got a job. Well, let me tell you about that. Uh, I came out to Cardiff University with a poor degree in 1971. Mm. No. Any degree in physics was up to then where I could have walked into dozens of jobs. Um, word must have got about the village. I was back home, with um, the school, my girlfriend's brother taught at the school, so they must have spread the word that I was around mm. with a degree in physics. And they've always been short of science teachers, mm. so I got a message: Would I come and take a job in the local comprehensive school? But I, never, I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> That was the last thing on earth I wanted to do as a teacher. But um, I went up and saw the head teacher, and he offered me the job. But so I walked into school yeah. and started teaching without any training whatsoever. Really? Yeah. <laughs>
5: Get your personalized plan today
2: at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And then, being back in the wrong having got married, all our family around us. I saw a good job advertising Cheshire. And my wife had come back from Bristol when yeah. we got married, and she got a primary school job in uh, in in Triopi. Um, I saw this good job advertised, second in the physics department in a comprehensive school in Mid Cheshire. Yeah, and I thought that looks interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I applied, and I was, I was interviewed, and got the job. Anyway, I weren't there, we weren't there very long, but our first two children were born, my eldest two sons. Yeah. Um, And then there was a a really good job, the best job I ever had, in in Radcliffe-on-Trent. Right. As head of science. So at 28, I think it was then. Yeah. The family, we all moved over to Radcliffe. The head was good, but I ran the department. I had total free brain out how to do it. Brilliant. And... um, as I said, I taught tough kids in in Cheshire, so I, could, you know, it was a bit of a pin, you know, an easy, easy piece. Yeah, someone like
0: Ratcliffe on Trent, I imagine it was. And Cockrave, yeah, yeah.
2: Even though, um, and probably that's why I was brought in because of my experience coming yeah. from South Wales.
0: It must have been like a walk in the park after. It
2: was, but um, I really started to motor professionally, and we had a brilliant department, and. Um, It was well-known in the East Midlands, you had university students come in just to observe our teaching in science. Yeah. But I made the biggest professional mistake in my life then. I must have got too big for my boots because I ended up getting a deputy headship in a rubbish school. I thought, oh, well, I can change this. Right. But I couldn't... (laughs) I worked. I learned a lot in the first five years, and uh, I grew a lot. And then it became a chore. Then, and but um, when we moved to Nottingham, concurrent with all that professional stuff, my gender identity was beginning to cause problems, and that's partly why I worked so hard. I think mm. I was working seventy hours a week then to drive away the, you know, the distress a bit of yeah. I started to explore more seriously, and, and I was in counselling for a year. And we, disc- I, I realized uh, that I was um, was suffering gender dysphoria, which meant, uh, in simple terms, uh, even though I appeared a man, uh, inside my brain and my identity was female. Yeah, but with the, I was lucky. I had the help of um, another trans person in Cardiff. You, university in the medical school Mm. who kind of facilitated and pointed me in the right direction i ended up in charing cross hospital in london Mm. Uh, and that began my transition to female uh, which took 15 years that i was in my mid-30s and by that time we would had four children so i was working on five cylinders in a sense yeah i had a big responsibility in my job. I had a, quite a, a big young family. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it was quite a strainful time.
0: I'm sure. How, how did you first address it with your wife?
2: Well, we kind of... I think all the time we were married, even going back to school, she realised that there was something odd to me and different. Yeah. Um, and...
0: So it wasn't a bombshell?
2: It, oh, no, no. We, we lived with it. Um, I suppose as my need to change, and tra- what we call transition yeah. from male to female, uh, grew stronger, um, it became more difficult in the family. Um, sure. So when I actually... Um, I suppose the one ironic equation was my parents didn't know because we lived in Nottingham and they were still down in Wales. Yes. But they were getting quite frail by that time. Sure. And as I told you, they were both ill. Yeah. Um, they were 71 by that time. Mm. I remember my gender transition had come to the point that uh, I needed to have surgery. On the day I was booked in for surgery in Leicester. Yeah. was the day of my dad's funeral. Really? So obviously I had to cancel that and go down to, to Wales. But I lived a double life as well, half my time as a man and half my time so up to that point. Yeah. Um, and then, um, oh, I'd finished teaching in 92.
0: So at this point, were your children aware?
2: Yeah, well, they were like my, my spouse.
0: Really. Yes, and so uh, so every it was this
2: in the house they knew I was different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what
0: this was? What year?
2: We were in the mid nineties then, mid late nineties.
0: But considering how considering how far things have come in terms of awareness and recognition, and yeah. you know, the mid nineties was still. Oh it was, God, was archaic. still um, archaic in terms of attitudes. But to, to well, there
2: was no legislation in place to protect trans people. Yeah. So you could be discriminated against. And that's how I left teaching the, the local authority. Uh, well, I approached the trade union, national union teachers, uh, confidentially, uh, I, I, approached the regional office, because I was a senior member of... Yeah. I was run... in that I was running in the secondary school. Yeah. Um, so I approached <clears> the <throat> regional office of the NUT and um, was brilliantly helpful. Really? But didn't know what to do. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they'd not come across this before. I'd also... I was in contact with some other trans people in the south of England and yeah. I met, met a couple of times... Uh, a primary school head who was in the same situation.
0: Right.
2: Was were, The National Association of Head Teachers was helping him. So I mentioned this to the NUT region. So they actually the two unions worked together to help me. So all sorts of things went, went awry because the local authority, the trade union, were tried to help me. And the plan was that I could leave the school, go into local authority administration, mm transition and come back into teaching afterwards yeah and it got all sorts of messy uh you can imagine if the school had been aware of that transition it would have got to the media and it would have been all over the national media well it happened to a trans friend of mine who i was quite friendly with um, who got uh she had transitioned and got she was a vicar actually yeah and um one day, it was splashed all over the sex change, Vicar.
0: Well, it's, you know... It, it's, it would have been it's, sex it's, it's, change. It, it's mother's milk to, to a certain kind of tabloid headline writer, something like that, it isn't
2: right it? Me, it would have been sex change, head teacher. Yeah. Um, so what we all came to the conclusion was um, they'd parked me, really, and I, in at 42 years of age, ironically the same age as more or less my dad. Yeah a finished work and I was put on incapacity benefits and teachers infirmity pension for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> really?
2: Yeah. So what was next? I'd left teaching, my parents died and then two years later I transitioned. Yeah. Uh, But things were getting tough in the family and uh, I separated and we separated. I moved out into the city in a flat on my own, which I suppose was the start of my loneliness, really, because I'd always lived in a family, in a big family.
0: And now you were... On my own. Yeah. As as a woman.
2: Yeah. um, Trying to build a new life on my own, which was pretty challenging.
0: Or your days filled with it, it was it was, oh, it was the, the academia. I, I've
2: always done a lot of voluntary work so Yeah. Since I finished teaching. Yeah. Uh, I worked for um, I ran a, I was lead uh, chair of a man, uh, an advice centre. Uh, I did. I worked in the citizens advice bureau. As yeah. A volunteer. I was a director of relate. Um, I did lots of things. Yeah, sure. I was quite. You know, Part of it in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm getting paid by the state, mm. so. So you I, felt you needed to give I something very back. I was skilled and qualified. Yeah, I put back. You know, I was giving my time freely, mm. uh, and even now I'm kind of working, nearly working full time, even though I'm supposed to have retired. Yeah. So um, I've always, but personally, in my in my heart, I've I've been lonely. <laughs>
0: Yeah. How, how do you do? You how do you deal <laughs> well, with
2: loneliness? one of the first things when I transitioned, um, um, I can remember lying in the hospital bed in Leicester, thinking, "Ah, so what's going to happen to my relationships? Am I going to be in relationships with men or women?
1: Because mm. I'd
2: always had relationships with women, for yeah. heterosexual." And I was lying there, and I I come up with about. 10 permutations, I thought. Uh, Anyway, um, I put that aside. I obviously couldn't resolve that in my hospital bed. Yeah. (laughs) I I remember when I was doing some voluntary work, I met a lesbian and I was talking to her about it. She said, well, when you're walking down the street, who do you fancy, men or women? I said, women? She said, well, that's the end of it. Don't worry about it. Yeah.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Anyway... uh, Immediately, our marriage broke up. I, start, I, I, I sought, sought solace in the church. Yeah. And um, I won't go into a lot of details there, but I went back to an Anglican church, which, contrary to what's popular kind of understandings, the congregation were absolutely beautiful. Oh, really? They saved my life on many occasions. Oh, that's they, wonderful. They took me into their arms and they cherished me. I yeah. was very vulnerable weak. week. And I went there yeah. and, yeah, I can't fault them. They were so lovely.
0: Oh, that is wonderful to hear. And
2: then I got friends with a group of about half a dozen women who were mainly widows and stuff. And yeah. We used to go on holidays together. Anyway, I went on one holiday and out of that came a lesbian relationship <laughs> with one of them, and uh, which lasted for three months, but it, it wasn't serious. But yeah. it was it was nice to be reaffirmed. Or for me to have some sort of bearing, intimacy
0: and some, you know, some just bearing
2: on my sexuality, yeah. And um, after, oh, what was it? it be about 2005, 2006. I met this woman, yeah. I was introduced to a woman, yeah, much younger than me by a mutual friend, yeah. And we ended up having a 10 year loving relationship again. Oh, which really? I would describe was as loving as my, the one I had when I was in my sixth form. Really? And um, that was beautiful. That was lovely. But we split up in the end. Uh,
0: that can't so, have been too long ago. Hmm? That
2: No, we split up, what's it, two and a half years ago now. Yeah. Oh,
0: I'm sorry to hear that.
2: The other kind of way I've dealt with, I've survived too. Yeah, I'm a survivor. I've survived yeah. very well. Um, I, I suppose I've got a happy life. I do. In, I've got lots of friends. Um, I do loads of things. I'm busy all the time. Yeah. Um, I carried on going to that Anglican church. I, the, the desire to be at the end again, but this time as a woman, we emerged. Yeah. But um, the bishop didn't like that, so that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't do anything about that. So um, uh, so when the vicar and the curate left, I decided I'd leave at the same time. Yeah. And I became a Catholic, nearly uh, four years ago now. Sure. Both my faith and my self-understanding psychologically has, has well, taught me to live life Happily in as best I got with what I got.
0: And, and I think... Uh, and
2: currently, I'll let you into the secret. I'm in, I'm in love with another one, but it's a bit slow. Well,
0: well, let's. good luck with that. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Um, if the, is there one life lesson that sticks out above any others that you've learnt along the way?
2: If you want to do something, do it. You've got to do it. You only get one life.
0: Well, it's hard to argue with that.
2: And, um, well, lots of people don't. I meet lots of people. I find the people I get into difficulty with are people who have not done that.
3: And that was Janet. She was fantastically inspirational to talk to and a pleasure to spend time with. As you'll have just heard, this podcast is about sharing some fantastic life stories, but there are well over a million chronically lonely people in the UK who have no one to share their stories with. If you'd like to know more about ways to change this, then please go online and visit campaigntoendloneliness.org and find out how together we can make loneliness a thing of the past. Thanks again to Janet and also thanks to Acast for hosting this show. See you next time.